Today on the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, we're continuing our day-by-day watch of What If with What If Hella Found the Ten Rings. All that right after this. Man, only two episodes left after this, I think. That's crazy. I want it to continue mm. forever. Can they just keep dropping this forever? All that right after this. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic Universe Podcast. My name is Matthew Carroll. And I'm Jay Scotty St. Clair. What's up, Jay Scoots? Oh, you know, the uh, the end is nigh. The, the end, end is, is nigh, nigh for season two of episode or for season two of What If, as well as for uh, 2023. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just talking to my niece about it after we watched this episode and just like how much fun it's been to just have one more episode each day. Like they they mm. they helmed it as like you get nine Christmas presents this holiday season, and it totally has been that for me. I've really, really enjoyed just like each day getting one more. And there's such bite-sized thing. It's not like if they were dropping 45 minute episodes, that probably wouldn't be as fun. It wouldn't be at least as easy to consume, but 20 minutes is just the right amount of time. I could just sit down during breakfast and watch it like every morning, you know? Yeah. I'm really starting to see the appeal of Hanukkah. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. Present a day. Present a day is not bad. Not at all. Um, <laughs> so, uh, what do you think of this episode? Hella, get get a get. Like, all these episodes seem feel like there's fusions of two two main parts of the story, and this is you know, well, it's it's the character from Ragnarok, Hella, but basically going through the Thor storyline, but yeah. landing in you know Shang Chi land. Uh, right. <laughs> so right. Uh, it, it's really interesting. Yeah, I thought this was a really solid episode. It did kind of have the unfortunate timing and placement of being sandwiched between two of my absolute favorite episodes of What If and kind of like Mm. top tier episodes of What If. And I think had it debuted a little earlier in the season, I would have been saying like, this is one of my favorite episodes of What If, Mm -hmm. but still a really solid and really enjoyable episode. To your point, um, you know, I think it does a lot of things right, including revisiting um, some aspects of the MCU that are kind of begging for it. Like Hela, I think is one of those characters and villains that people kind of forget about when they talk about, you know, potential characters to return. Like we never saw a body. And for my purposes, the full might of Surtur and Ragnarok is not quite enough to take out Hela based on what we've seen from her. And then the other side of it is uh, revisiting the world of Shang-Chi. While we didn't get to spend time with Shang-Chi forthright, just revisiting that world was awesome. So yeah, narratively, it did feel like it was kind of a rehash of the Thor storyline, but Mm -hmm. where it succeeded was revisiting these parts that really needed to be revisited. Oh yeah. Um, And yeah, I I feel I'm starting to feel like one of the things they do to create these what if stories is just draw from a hat like characters, storylines, and like setting. And they come from different movies and they just try to make those things work. You know, this is Mm. like Hella combined with the Thor storyline combined with the setting from Shang-Chi. So it's like, uh, you know, similarly to uh, Peggy Carter, Winter Soldier. 
Black Widow as the Red Room, you know, as her story, sure. as her setting. Like, and and I do think that makes this one less surprising, and 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 kind of a narrative we're used to. So I agree with that. Mm-hmm. But I still really, really enjoyed it, and she was just so snarky and fun. Oh yeah, Kate Blanchett was like the highlight of this episode. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Absolutely, and so snarky that it was almost like. It, it really like kind of poking fun at the world. And that was, it was a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed her and um, man, the, <laughs> and they've done a good job. In almost every one of these episodes having a moment of real uh, pathos, I guess. Mm. And in this one, it was her basically us as the audience watching her have the smallest dose of therapy. Um, okay. and, and getting to like realize what she actually wants out of life, you know what I mean? Jai uh, says, you know, you, you want to get the ten rings for what? And then she's like, mm-hmm. I want to take them and kill my father for what? I, I want to rule the kingdoms for what? And she just keeps asking her for what? And then she has that flashback of realizing that her father had put her in this like system of control her whole life. And just like the, she was trained, just like the dog was trained to serve him and fight for him. And she, and even after that, she says, I, that's the difference between me and you. I am nothing without a fight. And then Mm. she goes on to fight her way across the cosmos, um, which was so cool. Her going and saving Gamora, uh, and her Gamora's people. Um, that was really, really rad. Anyway, I, I just thought that was a really cool moment. And it was it yeah. was a real moment of pathos for her realizing like freedom. I just want freedom. I don't really want like all the other stuff I want. And it's so it's true in life. Like all the stuff that you think you want, whatever that is, whatever your goal is. A lot of times it's a there's a goal under that goal that's the real thing you're looking for. And you know mm. you don't have to be <laughs> whatever um, the head writer on a TV show or the a rock star or what, like whatever your big goal in life. Only a few people reach those big goals, but a person is truly happy. It just takes figuring out what you really want. What you, re- what's mm. the core of that, uh, desire that you have. And, uh, I mean, I myself have been like reassessing, like what, mm. what do over the last couple of years? Like, what do I want I, for a long time? It was just, I want to be a rock musician. You know, I want to like play music this way. And that's shifting slowly as I've talked sure. about on the podcast a little bit in the past. Um, and it's just, it's just like what is what is the core of that desire? Because I still feel it, but like what is the core of it, and what am I? Tra- what is the world I'm trying to build for myself? And I think that's that was just a really good moment in this episode. Yeah, yeah, that moment stood out to me as well for being particularly effective, and for a number of reasons. You know, all of which you brought up. It really was like the defining character moment, but it also served as like a stark reminder of how terrible a father Odin is. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we kind of gloss over that a lot. And I know in like <laughs> Norse mythology, it's visited a little bit more. Like, he is a very kind of nuanced and not always uh, a good guy or a uh, savory guy. But yeah, Odin's a terrible father. So to kind of have you know the the mirror of Win Wu and get to see a different side of Win Wu. Um, I thought that was a nice parallel, although, you know, the characterization of Win Wu, I might have some questions about, but yeah, everything else you brought up, like 
getting to see Fenrir, the the wolf in that moment, I just beforehand was like just thinking about like where is where is her wolf in in this big picture? Like that was her companion. So I'm glad they they did that as well. And you um mentioning the final scene there where she comes riding in with Winwu to liberate Gomorrah's people uh, reminded me of a fun fact. This episode was also going to be um, alternatively titled "What If Hella Became a White Savior." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, funny, funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like Hella the White is a cool thing um, mm-hmm. in this uh, in this world. Um, very, very Gandalf of her. You you brought up uh, the characterization of Win Wu, and I'd love for you to expand on that. Like, um, I, I think what you're saying uh, to put mm-hmm. words in your mouth is <laughs> before Win Wu meets Shang Chi's mother, he's supposed to be like a conquering like guy who's sort of bad and then he right. meets her and changes his ways mm-hmm. for the span of her lifetime and that is well it's it's an open question because there's there's a lot of parallels in this episode that are questionable like he says i i, I don't um i don't rule over them i protect them right and then when odin shows up it's clear that Hela does not think he's there to really do any good. He's there to take the power, the Ten Rings, because right. Hela sees behind his motivations because she knows him so well. And she says, like, you're just here for the rings. And he says, no, I'm here to take them under my protection. It's the same mm. line that Wu had. So there's this question of, like, even in that last scene when she's in white savior mode going through the galaxy, uh, is... Are what is what her and Win we are doing? Is it really for the protection of the world? Sure, they may be taking out other threats, or is it just a part of that same conquering that Odin was doing? And you know, speaking of the last episode and colonialism, and like, like you know, like sure, <laughs> is sure. this just intergalactic colonialism on a grand scale through the cosmos, or is she trying to do good? And it's it's kind of not really clear because of that characterization of Wen Wu from Shang-Chi and because we know the characterization of Odin and like here they treat it differently. It's treated right. like it's different, but I don't know that it is. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I'm glad you picked up on the use of the word protection there because that's not something that particularly stood out to me, but I think you're onto something there. And I, th- you know, Win Wu's story is so long lived and we've only seen such a small snippet of it. Like it's entirely possible that somewhere along his course of his, you know, conquest, he was a little bit more altruistic. But what we Mm -hmm. saw in the movie is, yeah, he was this conquering guy that kind of grew tired of the battle. And it was only when he was confronted with something new and challenging that he decided to to change his ways and become a family man. So him not having experienced any of that, I, I believe that, you know, having, um, found the ten rings and knowing that they came from another another world, like instinctively knowing that Hell is the same way. I can understand why he would be so um, immediately interested in her, and maybe mm. that changes the whole course of his life. Sure, but yeah. uh, you know, thinking about what Hella's you know conquest kind of looks like, I, I do believe her when she says like she wants to free the nine realms because that's the only reason she takes the throne. I think about her parallels with Thor. Thor doesn't take the throne at the end of Thor. Even though he's worthy, he chooses not to take the throne. And the only reason she does take the throne is to undo his uh, Odin's, you know, Odin's uniting of the nine realms. So, you know, maybe they, maybe they diverge somewhere down the line. Maybe they have a, you know, a romance for some time and maybe they become embittered lovers. But uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
it, it, it's inter- it's a lot of interesting questions in that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that I that we really can't answer because Odin seems like a benevolent king in the in the way that we get to know him through Thor one two and three and um although when Hela shows up she's trying to show like no he's not you know what I mean it's right. like yeah he gets to he gets to write the history that he's a benevolent king but no he's this he's he's a villain. <laughs> Right. And so yeah, it just uh it just makes me wonder if he's in if if they're in like it's it's also possible. Yeah, you mentioned when we this is just sorry, there's a lot of characters here and yeah. all of them have this sort of shift between like benevolence and conquering hero and what does that mean and right. um and it, it it ties into Loki too. When she when she yelled freedom and jumped up and said freedom, I was like she just did the entire Loki arc in 19 minutes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, because she started or even that, out as the that scene we were talking about previously, where she has the flashback to Fenrir, like when um, Jai is asking her what she wants. Like Sylvie basically had that same exact moment with like Loki. It's like, yes. you say you want to protect your friends, but what is the real reason? No, you don't want to be alone. And yeah, mm-hmm. Hela needs to find out who she is away from the fight. And little girl Hela having that sort of realization as a child that she is the dog being controlled reminded me so much of Sylvie as a child mm. in Asgard being picked up by the TVA. There's just like right. so many interesting connections with this. But one thing I was thinking, like you mentioned Wen Wu and he was kind of an old, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't have the best memory of Shang-Chi off the top of my head, but at least the intro, but is mm-hmm. Wen Wu, was he always sort of like the uh, uncaring, conquering guy? Or was there a time before that you mentioned he was old and tired, and I'm wondering if th- right. maybe maybe this even predates him being sort of old and tired. This might be when he still believes in his own hype, and he's still trying to protect the people. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah, that's that's what I was kind of going for. And within the context of the film Shang Chi, we really don't know because we the opening shot is you know him in ancient times, but it is him attacking a fortress. He's not defending a fortress. He is on the attack mm, and he is the, yeah. the conquering warlord there. But we really don't get any dialogue to extrapolate there from the next time we really see him is um when he meets Shang Chi's mother. And we know Shang Chi was born in the early nineties, so uh, you know, that had to be relatively modern times. Yeah. Oh you mentioning uh Shang Chi's mother and the uh the change of heart he had when I thought it was really interesting. And I, I feel like we have had uh Odin say something to this effect in a monologue at some point. I'm not sure, but though it, it led me to believe that because Frigga was his new girlfriend, oh, and this yeah. is right when he's <laughs> making the change to be uh-huh. like, like telling Hella he's no longer gonna be a conqueror or stopping right. at nine, that sort of thing. Um, like I I, I get the sense that Frigga was just like Shang-Chi's mother was for Win Wu. Like Frigga mm. came into his life and and like made it that change in Odin. And I, I feel like Odin said something to that effect at some point in in the sh- movies, but I may I may be I may be misremembering that. Yeah, I don't recall Odin saying anything quite to that effect, but I definitely remember Hela's line in this episode about the new girlfriend, and that was that was just yeah. great because yeah, speaking to her snarkiness. Another um, line that came to mind for me is when she first meets Winwu, and she says, "You know, I, I have respect for a man that's brave enough to try jewelry." Yes, <laughs> I love that awesome. line. <laughs> You're not the first ass I've followed into battle. I really like that line. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, Morris. Yeah, or maybe oh, Morris's Morris. ancestor. I don't know. 
Yeah, yeah, it's un- unclear. I'm assuming Morris, like a, a being with no uh, way to intake food, just feels like a magical being that lasts forever or something, kind of like the protector yeah. or whatever. Which was cool to see the the great protector just up there, oh, yeah. like defending. Ah, so much fun, and then we, we've talked about it. We talked about it a lot on the last episode. I love how we keep talking about things and then they answer them sort of in the next episode in a completely right. different setting. But we talked about the realms and what they mean yes. and how they're related to all of this. And they say in this, and I think they said something similar in the Chongxi movie that mm-hmm. we know that they're not in the nine realms because Heimdall can't see them. Right. I'm kind of assuming that means they're not on the earthly plane of existence because they say they're in between that and the underworld. Right. Which Hela is somehow a an agent of because she's the goddess of death. Yeah. It, it's all it's all it's interesting. Very cool. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot of fun to discuss and like you said, kind of like pose these questions and get some answers because yeah, that line definitely stuck out to me as well. She said we're a border uh for for the earth meant to protect from uh threats from the underworld, which you know reminded me a lot of Doctor Strange as well and what they do at uh Comertage. Um Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I definitely thought of Doctor of, of the Ancient One and her descriptions of what like the what the uh, Source of Supreme does mm-hmm. is defend, defending Earth from those threats, and it 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 seems like that's what this Talo does as well. But it's like specific to that location. I know they have that. I don't know. I don't know if it's specific to that location or they can somehow intercept threats from the underworld do un- do underworld threats have to go through them are they like a bridge between the underworld and the and midgard or whatever yeah, that's a good question i'm just gonna i mean it's a lot of fun to discuss and speculate but uh right now i'm just gonna write it off all as uh pocket dimensions <laughs> yeah <laughs> gotta love a pocket dimension yes sir. um man it was cool seeing odin fight oh yeah we've never really seen him just like straight up go all out and fight and it was just fun to see yeah i love the use of the 10 rings to like play keep away like watching oh, yeah. them kind of like wrap around his uh his spear which i can't remember the name of the spear but i, I like that moment too where she's like keep him away from that what is yeah. that yeah we That's have to that. separate him from that from that sword or that spear like jorgand or something like that yeah. something like that i also really liked the 10 rings directly to the face <laughs> yes just yes. man uh, it, like no one else could survive that, but, you know, Odin is probably one of the few beings that can. Right. For my Super Smash Brothers fans, Falcon Punch. <laughs> <laughs> I think we assume this, but did we ever have it confirmed in Shang-Chi that the Ten Rings are from another realm? Or from outside the Earth, I guess. They said from from outside the Earth, which they both kind of confirmed in this episode. Um Within because, the movie, I don't think so. I don't think so either, because I know we've been talking about it for four years now or whatever. Right. Because <laughs> that last scene, they're like, what are the Ten Rings? There's some some kind of ancient power. They've set off some kind of beacon, like all this right. stuff. So this this is actually giving us a clue that I don't think we've ever had before, which it's not like an ancient civilization on Earth. They are from somewhere outside of Earth. They weren't clear on whether it was outer space or another realm, but uh they 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 have two lines in there that they say like uh when Wu, when he sees Hella, knows this is something interesting because he knows that um great powers come from beyond Earth. Right. Um so so and then uh Odin says something like this this so this uh the Ten Rings don't belong here. They you know right. they don't uh, so like that that both of those lead me to believe that 
they don't come from Earth. Yeah. It's also kind of interesting to contemplate like Heimdall is like, you know, all seeing and, and supposedly keeping a watch on the nine realms, but he wasn't really aware of the 10 rings until Hela came in contact with them. So like in my own headcanon, I just kind of assumed that like, you know, Midgard is part of the nine realms, but Odin is kind of like a hands-off ruler. Like if there's not an immediate threat that needs like Asgardian involvement, he's okay with it. So I just assumed he was aware of the 10 rings was just like, okay, they're off there doing their own thing. If it becomes a problem, we may intervene, but to just find out that they weren't even aware of them was kind of, I didn't take it that way. Uh huh. I took it the way I took it the way you said before the first one. Okay. Yeah. Which like, it's the first time he's mentioned it to Odin. Sure. Like, like, oh, hey, uh, there, this may be a problem. But, like, that's exactly... To me, To me, it's like he could have seen them. I also get the sense that... Does Heimdall... Heimdall sees everything, but does he see everything all at once? You know what I mean? Mm. Like, does he have to, like, put his gaze to something for it to be seen? Because he can see the entire Nine Realms, but it is... I don't think... I don't know. Maybe he does see it all at once, but... uh, Or is he sort yeah. of scanning around... And now he had a reason to look there. And maybe he's seen the Ten Rings before, but like he's never had a reason to worry about them killing Odin's daughter or whatever. Yeah, I'm going to say based on what we've seen so far, I think he's still, you know, God with a little G. So I'm going to say he, he can only, you know, zoom in on what he wants to see at that particular yeah. moment, what he chooses to focus on. Not omniscient, but like yes. the power to look anywhere. Right. While we're talking about Heimdall, I do want to say I was pretty impressed that they brought back Idris Elba because he's one of those um, actors that like it seemed like after, you know, he had done his his time with Marvel and interviews and stuff like that. It felt like he didn't have a lot of kind things to say about his experience with Marvel. And I felt like he was kind of done with Marvel. And of course, he went over to do things with, you know, DC and the Suicide Squad. But the fact that he's willing to come back, I, I don't know what happened behind the scenes, but I just, I like that. I like the fact that they were able to bring talent like him back, even for, you know, so small a role. It obviously mm-hmm. speaks to some goodwill there. Yeah, for sure. And that is very, very cool. Um, yeah, I always get the sense that Idris Elba is just so underutilized. He's such a it's great true, actor. And I feel like he got the the role of Heimdall right before he broke through. And so, like, yeah. we all, like, one, I mean, I remember seeing the movie and being like, oh, wow, Idris Elba's in this. Like, he j- he'd yeah. just kind of broken through with, like, Luther and such. And, uh-huh. like, everyone was starting to know his name. And then, like, but he's now, if you, if, if they were going to cast him, like, a year later, they probably would have gone for something bigger. But, like, uh, you know what I mean? Sure. It, it just feels, it just feels like they went a little, they picked something for him a little too soon uh, yeah. for the star he became. Um, but it's one of the few guys who like the Marvel movies is not what made him famous. You know what I mean? Like uh, they picked someone's that didn't have as big of a name. And then he got a big name by stuff other than the Marvel movies. And now we all know him and they did try to expand his role in Ragnarok. They gave him a lot more to do in that. True. Um, but you know, very, very, very small corner of the universe. Uh, when I think he could have, played almost anyone in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because he's, he's so, so good. Yeah, I'm actually just now recalling that he did pop up at the very end of Love and Thunder, so I guess that bridge had already kind of been mended a, a couple years back at least. Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah, in the post-credit I, scene where Jane makes her way to Valhalla. Oh, you're right. Greets you're, her. you're right. I'd forgotten yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, wait, he's dead. 
<laughs> it's like right because he was in Valhalla. I for- yeah. I'd forgotten that too off the top of my head. Did not pop in. Um, yeah. I'm I'm like realizing lately, and part of it is the sort of like spreading out of the MCU in Phase Four and stuff. But like okay. I am having a harder time remembering some of the key points. We're doing our rewatch right now, which is probably going to be helpful. But like, yeah. uh, I'm like sometimes I just like wait that happened. Oh, it did happen. Oh, yeah, it was like when you brought up the the other Thanos's lackey, and oh, I kept yeah, correcting yeah. you as Ebony Maw. I felt like when I listened back to that, I felt like you know, oh, such no, a dumbass. Man. But no, like no, no, you no, know, a, totally a few reasonable. years ago, I would have been able to like spit off like the other like like that. Yep, but it's like you other, said with so right. many movies and and so much time removed, it's so much more to remember. Yep. And I feel bad because I just watched those movies and I could not remember the other. And like, it's in the subtitles. I don't think it's ever said in the in the movie, but it's in the subtitles. They yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I really like the line. Uh, any, any of those threats from the underworld looking for a job? <laughs> <laughs> it's really yeah. good. Anyway, I think that's all I got. You got anything else on this episode? Uh- the very last thing I have is uh, Jeff was unable to join us, but he wanted to make sure that we uh, we mentioned this this great homage that he had. So I, uh, Winwu had the line about not being her father, so he said, "Make sure you mention Winwu was like, I'm not your father, but I'll be your daddy," which is you know a funny joke considering Yandu's line. I was like, he didn't say that though, right? Like, I don't remember that. He's just talking he, about. He like, says, "I'm not your father," and which stuck saying, out to me because it kind of felt like the yeah, reverse yeah. of Darth Vader, the way he delivered it. Oh. They were sitting across the the table from each other, having a, a a discussion about you know her father, her father abandoning her and fearing her, uh, the fight that he instilled in her. And he said, "I see the fight in you, but I'm not your father." Yeah, and and, and I see the fight in you, but I'm not afraid of it. Right, um, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, I get it now. He's saying, I'm yeah. not your father, but I'm your daddy, as in he wanted to be with her. <laughs> Sorry for <laughs> butchering be- your joke, Jeff. <laughs> no, no, no. I just didn't understand it. Uh, <laughs> it, it like, I was, I was like, wait, he said that? I don't remember him yeah. saying daddy at any point. Uh, I got you. I get yeah. it. I get it now. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm the one who butchered it. I ruined it. Well, what am I apologizing for anyway? We know Jeff famously doesn't listen to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Like not a podcast, hardly ever. Um, not just ours, just a podcast. He's just not a right. podcast listener. Oh man! All right. Well, uh, J- Jay Scotty, thank you so much for joining me on another What If episode. Only two more left, and I am really, really bummed about it. Um, mm. that, it that this this train has to stop. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, tell the people where they can find you online. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. So I appreciate you having me on. Uh, if you want to hear. A- more of me talking about animated stuff, check out Animation Deliberation. That's the podcast that takes action animation and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. And also over on Multiverse News, where we just uh, kind of, you know, brought 2023 to a crescendo with our top list for TV and film. Yeah, yeah. That was a really fun episode, and we dropped it this morning as we're recording this. And yeah, uh, yeah it's, uh, it's we, did, we each gave our top five movies and our top five television shows for uh 2023 and it was fun it was fun seeing what everybody's list what was on everybody's list what crossovers some of our patrons sent in their own list it was a lot of fun so please if you haven't yet and you're a fan of this show please check out multiverse news we're working on it every week and working really hard to put out a good show for you guys bring you good information and have a good time talking about it so we will be back very soon peace 
Until next time, true believers. Hey, you just listened to the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast from Stranded Panda. I really hope you liked it. Let me just say a big thank you to all of our supporters on patreon.com slash mcucast. You are the lifeblood of our little operation here. And a huge, huge thank you to our insanely generous Illuminati tier patrons, Walter Kreisky III, Lieutenant Bongo, and Jazz Viz. You guys are amazing. If you'd like to see our beautiful faces, you can catch a video version of many of our episodes at youtube.com slash strandedpanda. Love you 3000, my friends.